Disrupting Japan, episode 28. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and, and thanks for coming out tonight. Man, you guys are awesome. Okay, those of you at home or wherever you might be out in podcast land have noticed we've got something special for you tonight. We are recording live from Super Deluxe in Roppongi with some of the most innovative, creative people on the face of the planet, which is the Tokyo startup community. <laughs> All right, and before we get rolling with the uh, podcast proper, I want to thank our media sponsor, Gaijin Pod, who helped a lot with the coordination in so many other little ways I can't even begin to count. And to give a special shout out to Akihabara News, who helped us get the word out and who's doing the video and running around taking all kinds of pictures tonight. So a big thanks to everyone who helped out in this as well as you guys. So um, it's not a proper one year anniversary or a proper podcast without a compai. So please get your drinks ready. And. Um, ah, Tokyo Ale, good stuff. All right, now, uh, I'm going to introduce the panel here. I'd let them introduce themselves, but two of them are far too modest to tell what they're really doing, and one wouldn't shut up about it. And <laughs> You know who you are. So, to my left is Matt Romaine, co founder and CEO of Gengo, Japan's, no, actually, probably the world's largest um, and the leading software as a service based translation company. Next is Hiroshi Asada of Beat Robo, an incredibly cool and innovative Internet, Internet of Things company. Which, how am I going to explain this? It basically, <laughs> <laughs> content delivery based on mobile, okay, for mobile accessories. Uh, and you've worked with everyone from Lawson's Convenience Store to Lincoln Park. And rounding out the panel from, with a VC perspective is Hiro Maida, who has been on the founding team of two of the most innovative incubators here in Japan, uh, both digital, digital garages, open network labs, and the Binos Inception program. And now you're onto bigger and better and more in control of your own fun things. We'll find out soon. Yeah, all right. So let's give a big hand to the panel. Okay, guys. Um, now, one of the things, and we've all talked about this before, one of the, mo the biggest trends we've seen in Japan within the startup community is the amount of foreign Japanese mixed teams, um, both in engineering and, and in management. And I want to get your thoughts, uh, and Matt, let's start with you, because I know this is something very dear to you. I want to get your thoughts, is this just a trend? Is this something that's actually a competitive advantage? What do you think of it? Um, so first I want to say uh, thanks uh, everyone for coming um, and thanks Tim uh, for that uh, introduction. I think it was great and congratulations of course on your, on your first year anniversary. Thanks so much. Um, so yeah, diverse uh, multicultural teams. I think it's, uh, it's going to be around for a while. I think it is a competitive advantage. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know how long it's going to last, but for, for right now, um, there are some areas where uh, international or multicultural environments can definitely be um, uh, harness uh, their competitive advantage um, in, in from everything from recruiting to to uh, access to to capital. And can you think of anything that's like a, a specific time where a problem was solved, or uh, it took you in a direction that you might not have otherwise if you'd had a uh, standard American team in San Francisco or a typical Japanese team here in Japan? 
Um, so at least for the first one, uh, so our engineering team is very uh, international. Uh, we have, let's see, 12 engineers or so representing at least uh, seven different nationalities. Uh, and there was a period where we wanted to uh, give the engineers a, um, a space to sort of be more creative outside the office. Uh, and so a lot of engineering teams do things like uh, hackathons, for example. Um, and so we mixed the hackathon concept uh, with a bit of a Japanese flavor and, and uh, actually did it over at a Zen temple down in Kamakura. Oh. Yeah, and we did it overnight uh, in futon beds. Uh, cool. Yeah, and so, um, and the food, of course, um, was fantastic. And the next morning, a bunch of the engineers had to wake up around, what, like 4.30 or 5 to do a little uh, zazen uh, and infuse a bit with, uh, with the Japanese uh, culture uh, and then continue hacking. So. Oh, excellent. Um, Hiroshi, I know one of the things you talked about was the difficulty in the very first foreign hire. Yes. Uh, so... We haven't hired as much, you know, foreigners. I don't know. How to, I don't want to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. It's it's a, we know what you mean. Uh, uh, so, because we started it as three Japanese, like founders, so three co-founders, they were all Japanese. They did not speak English. I mean, I was the only English speaker, and but you know, we still wanted to go global. You see, this is still right. Japanese as well. Right. <laughs> uh, but you know, like. The mindset was like to think that you are like the same as any Silicon Valley company. It's like thinking in the global way from the beginning. And to make that happen and to think about that long-term thing, we needed to have like an international like aspect. So we started speaking in English when we were all Japanese people. Really, before was, you, yeah, and then and it's like really? it's like rock It's like, oh, can I speak in Japanese? It's important. Like, <laughs> so sorry, okay. rock people. I didn't mean it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so like, but it, we like, we found out that not like uh, the Japanese team were like were not scared of English after all. It was just having the moment to use it to find the moment to actually use it. And the first guy to join our company actually uh, made that happen. So every meeting turned into English. Uh, our d today's task reports turned into English. Uh, everybody started to read English blogs. So like, things actually changed from like the first guy. So what, was the transition smooth, or were people being driven absolutely crazy for the first couple weeks? Uh, no, it's a startup. So they're like, we'll do it. OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to love that about startups. Hiro, you, you're involved with, with so many different companies, and you've got a much more kind of top-down impression on this. Is multicultural teams something that you look at as, a, as an investor, as a positive, a negative, or is it something that just uh, is incidental to you? So uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I think diversity is great, you know, and having... Uh, different cultures getting together and different, you know, ethnicities getting together to to do stuff together is is great, and it's great for the country. Country, it's necessary for the country. Um, but for startups, to be honest, diversity is not so great. Um, the reason why is because when you're a startup with two or three girls or guys, you have a need for speed, right? The only thing that's your competitive advantage is how fast you can execute things and how fast you can make decisions, right? And so because of that. Uh, Unless, like, you know, the, 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 one of the co-founders or all the co-founders have very international backgrounds where they've been immersed into very uh, different cultures while they were young, um, it usually causes friction, you know. If, they're, right. if a very domestic guy and a very, like, let's say, American guy gets together to start a company, it usually causes friction. Usually it goes to a very intermediary solution and those kind of things. And, 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 so, and you don't want that. You want honesty. You want op openness. You want quick decisions, right? And so for startups, to be honest, uh, I don't think it's a great thing to, ha to have a very diverse uh, so startup that, team. That does yeah. make sense. So you're yeah. saying that if you've got a team that is very mm. similar, yeah. they're going to gel together faster as a team. They're going to execute better because they're more likely to think along the same way. Yeah, so you want complementary skills, right? So you obviously, the skill sets should be complementary. The thought process should be complementary. But you don't want friction in the communication because of the n different cultures, like something that has nothing to do with the business, mm. right? And so, 
Yeah, so I am, I am pro-diversity for the country, but anti-diversity for startups. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, does that ever, does that, is that something that factors directly into your or others' investors' decision-making, or is that kind of an incidental It's data usually point? just incidental, right? Uh, because, because I know a lot of great startups that are successful with very diverse teams, but you have to be kind of like Matt, who has a very international background. I mean, you came from ASIJ, right? And so very international background. And, 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 and so only people like them, you know, or I forgot, I don't know what your, I forgot your, what your background is, but like only people like you Japan. guys. Japan. It's, it's okay. pretty, it's pretty crazy, quite right? frankly. Right? Uh, until 13. I, would, I lived in New York until 13. Yeah. So I think each yeah. of us have yeah. developed a sense of, of empathy, right? And we, we can mm. understand and read the, 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 those, that friction and, and can work around it. So that's what, it, that is important for sure. Okay. Um, let's talk about fundraising, because that's something that everybody asks me. It's, in fact, people tend to ask me way before they should about how to raise funding. Um, Japan in the last five or six years have sort of been overrun by incubators and angel investors, and in, in America it's even more crazy. So uh, here I, I really want your input on what companies should be looking at incubators, what companies should be looking at um, angels, which companies should be bootstrapping, where should someone start with this, particularly with the accelerators? So you should start with whoever will give you money. Um, <laughs> no, to, no to, to, be, to be very, very honest, um, uh, because... So you were like a prostitute in a former uh, life. <laughs> Oh, you are a prostitute when you get started. When you get started, right? You you would you get all the help you want. Um, no, but like I, obviously, because you because you know, especially traditional VCs, they're not built to take risks. Like right. it's you know, they're 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 more like a model of looking for the, the next significant company. So they have and, and they would deploy as much capital as they want they can into that company. So they actually have the the luxury to wait, right? But on the other hand. Accelerator is, is, is a very good model because the model is based on taking risks. So usually acceler accelerators invest in cohorts. So like Y Combinator has 100 cohorts, 100 companies in a single cohort right now. Right. Um, and I bet like KDDI's Accelerator and Open Network Lab Accelerator, they have usually 10 companies per co cohort. So they usually, when they think about investing, they think about in batches, right? And, but traditional VCs, we think about in individual companies. So it's very hard for us or well, us to take risks. Um, and, and, but Accelerator is built so that we can take risks. And, and so um, Accelerator is good if you're looking for, if basically if traditional VCs won't give you money, Accelerator is good. Uh, and, and, um, Wait, let, me, let yeah. me drill down on that because yeah. I think I, there's an interesting pattern forming here. Um, so, well, there, there's two questions there. I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, first go to the VCs, then kind of work your way down to good accelerators, then to bad accelerators. And, but if you've got an accelerator that's got 100 companies in a single cohort, do you think there can really add value to a founding team? Probably not. So probably not. Like, because the value is more in, in kind of the the network or the their interaction with the other companies that are in the same cohort or maybe the, the group of companies that are part of that accelerator, right? And Or maybe even the networks, right? So, so mm. Matt, Matt's a mentor for Open Network Lab. And, and so, you know, having that access to like mentors or other startups who's been there, done that, could be valuable, right? But it's really up to the startup on how they leverage that. So if you're very, I guess, passive on, 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 on on taking advantage of accelerators, then you're not going to take advantage of accelerators at all. You're just going to take like 50 grand and you know that's it, <laughs> right? But if you're very, so I know a lot of great founders who really leverage the hell out of us, right? And so, and that's very good, right? right? They ask for every intro, ask for every connection, you know, and try to ask every question. So if you're very proactive on that, I think accelerators are good. Well, it sounds like, I mean, everyone is saying that startups are the new MBA. And it sounds a lot like, um, a lot like the MBA where you don't really learn anything of value from your instructors, but the networking opportunities and what you can learn from your peers are phenomenal. And at least in the accelerators, they're giving you money. Yeah, but with the FBA, they're giving you a degree, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> and you're giving them an awful lot of money. Well, um, Hiroshi, I mean, you went through the Movida Accelerator. How did, yes. you, how did that? How did that affect you, your company? Did it accelerate it? Did you? <laughs> 
I actually cheated on it. Oh. <laughs> See, it is like an MBA. Uh, so there was like the first batch, and you know, you usually apply, do whatever, right? Like you, you like put hand in all these ideas and documents and stuff, but we never did it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you what? You just showed up? Or yes, that's what that, that showed that's up and claimed yeah. a desk. So we're like, we we're like, okay, we're getting investment from this company at this VC who's really strict in numbers. So we need another side that supports us on passion. Okay. So I was like, okay, Taizo Song, you never worked in a company, and you know you live to your forties and you're still like happy. I want somebody like you, like. Can we do something together? And that's that's how things started. So. Okay. So was your experience uh, similar or different from what Hiro was saying? Did you get most of the the uh, advantage from working with uh, Taizo-san and the other mentors, or was it more of a networking opportunity for you? Uh, the, the issue was I was like the second batch ever. All right. So there were there were like there were still no like networks or like <laughs> people who you know the the senpai people. So uh, we needed to be one. So I actually did, you know, like two years later, I was like the speaker there. So like, I I feel like I got more because I was closer to the actual people, like like being very close to Dave McClure in the beginnings, right? Right. So that's what I was able to meet Taizo Song before he sold uh, Gung Ho. I mean, before Puzzle and Dragons got really big. Mm. So like that part, I got benefit. But for the accelerator part, not yet. Okay. Now, Matt, you didn't go through an accelerator. Is I'm not sure if you've got anything to throw in on this or if... Well, so yeah, so we didn't go through an accelerator. We uh, received investment from Dave right before he was setting up his. Um, and I guess one of the key things that really helped us um, was having a cheerleader. And Dave was Dave was definitely our cheerleader and someone who's um, introduced us to the, the whole s space, uh, introduced us to additional investors. Uh, and so... In, in some capacity, that, that sort of uh, mentorship we got just directly from him as he was uh, forming his incubator. Okay. So it was more of a traditional investor uh, company relationship than an incubator program. Yeah. Okay. Um, another question I want to throw out, and this is really open-ended. It's one that used to annoy me, but people just won't stop asking and I've come around to realize that it's actually a pretty good question. And so everyone is asking what the main difference is, what the important difference is between the startup ecosystem and the community here in Tokyo and with the very successful startup ecosystems like San Francisco, Silicon Valley. And we could make a list that's almost infinite, but I want to ping you guys and see what you think is the most important. What one could learn from the other or mistakes that one or the other could avoid. Um, Hiro, you want to yeah. take a shot, shot of that one? Ooh, there, uh, there's a lot of differences, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a crap load of it. Um, but I think, so, so going, taking back a little bit more about investing side, so I think the, the, uh, essentially what's causing the difference is competition. Right. So just to put things into scale, like the amount of venture capital spending this year is going to be $70 billion, but amount of venture capital uh, in the U.S. In the U.S. In the US. And if that was in Japan, it was crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but if in Japan, it's about like $1.1 right? And so there's like a 70x, nearly 70x difference for two countries where the GDP is only like 4x or 5x different, right? Right. And so... Um, competition is the ultimate driver of the differences, I, I believe. And so because of that, there is no urgency with, especially the investing side. Um, there's no urgency in Japan because there's no competition. So we don't have to work Wait, hard to now, basically... When, you know, when you're right, talking uh, about competition, yeah. are you talking about competition among the investors for deal flow? Or are you talking about competition among the different startups for the investing money? Both. So Both. Both. Uh, so... so, so when there's no competition amongst the, between the investor for deal flow, that means there's no urgency to make decisions. There's no urgency to, to be different or okay. to add value, basically. So you can be a non-value-add investor and still be able to get d good deal flow, right, if in, you're in Japan. Um, don't quote me on that. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, and also, in, 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 the invest, uh, in the startup side, if there's no comp competition amongst each other or even um, for either 
building businesses or getting investor money, then there is no this kind of this urgency to try to grow or this urgency to try to be, become better faster, right? And so it's both sides that's kind of driving the, the I think the difference of the ecosystem. Now this is one yeah. of the, the biggest differences I've noticed yeah. between San Francisco and Tokyo or even San Francisco and say New York is the speed at which investors in San Francisco will make a decision. So do you think that is cultural or is that just a result of the dynamics you're talking about now, the, the, the competition among them? Oh, yeah, definitely competition, right? Because okay. I make a decision whenever I invest in a U.S. company within 48 hours. But when I invest in a Japanese company, I can wait for wait weeks. And I actually do that. Yeah, right? yeah I, no, this doesn't... <laughs> I, I've, long, I've long thought investors will take right? as much time until no, someone fi true. finally... Forces them over the cliff. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, so competition drives a lot of our thought process on uh, how fast we actually, you know, do stuff, right? And and it's the truth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I. So different funds are organized differently and structured differently. And in in Hero's case, obviously, you can be a sole decision maker. There's a lot of uh, corporate venture capital funds out there where you need to have this, you know, process after process of getting approvals before you know a target can uh, a company can actually be invested in. Um, and so initially, I thought it was more cultural. But um, you know, having you know thought about it a bit more, I think definitely comp the competition is a huge driver because there's definitely cases of, of corporate venture capital that's been deployed, you know, within weeks. Um, if if the decision makers realize that if they can't get in, then they're going to lose the opportunity. Here so. in Japan, mm -hmm. are we talking about your most recent round? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking of some other some other rounds. But, uh, okay. Uh, Hiroshi, I know you don't spend a whole lot of time in San Francisco, but you think I, about it. I don't even lot. have a visa, so <laughs> <laughs> I need to be a tourist to go to San Francisco. Um, it's true. Uh, okay. So I, I actually don't know the San Francisco culture, but I think there's an advantage to do something in Japan, meaning about the population, like, and about Tokyo. Like, Suica will probably take years or even more to work in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But in Japan, it just worked in like a year or two, and now everybody's using it. So, uh, if you are thinking of doing any service like that, I think it's better to do it in Japan. I mean Tokyo, right? In right. But yeah, like the, for the, about the startup culture, I, I, I that's, that's the only thing I could say for now because okay, I don't well know. I, I think that I only know it in like blogs. Well, like this is <laughs> one of the things. It's it's similar to kind of my opinion on it. Because um, my take on it is that it, it's fine to look at the differences, but the last thing Tokyo or Japan should be trying to do is make itself like Silicon Valley. Um, that was a one-time-in-history event that just kind of happened, and they couldn't do it again if they had to. Uh, and I firmly believe that Japan is going to kind of find their own way you know, through this, and, and it'll be different, but it'll be... Each year is better than the one before. Um, now, the, the question, like I said, I get tired of ask, getting asked that. The question that I wish people would ask me, but nobody ever does, so I'm going to ask these three guys, is the real secret to, to creating a steady stream of innovative startups is having a dynamic and supportive community, which we definitely are seeing the seeds of right in this room. It's great to see you guys. But what I want to ask you guys is what can we do as individuals in the community now, as investors, as founders, to improve the startup community here in Japan? And if someone wants to get more involved, what, what should they be doing? Matt? Uh, well, so compared to five, six years ago when we first launched, I think there was maybe one incubator uh, that, I, uh, that I remember that existed at that time. Now it seems like there's, uh, there's over 20 or so. Um, and there's a lot of events uh, going on now. Um, you've got uh, the weekend hackathon, uh, st uh, startup weekend events, innovation weekend. Um, you've got Hacker News Network, uh, Hacker News uh, meetups and stuff going on. Um, and so, and then you have these uh, incubators themselves are now, the, well, the companies are now setting up incubators and then doing their um, events there as well. And so participating uh, in that is, is definitely a key part of it. So just sign up for whatever looks interesting and keep if trying until you fit in. If you want to get involved, yeah. I mean, you got to start uh, by understanding the, the participants and, and who's involved. Cool. Um, Hiroshi? 
Uh, I think what's important is to like be able to find who's similar with you. Um, meaning, for example, I always look for a person who's never worked in a company because I have not. Right. Uh, I started my own company when I was 22. I was in graduate school, and I'm 32 now, and I've never worked in a company. I've been CEO my whole life. So, how hard is it in in Tokyo to find people who've never worked for a a proper company? Well, go to Accelerator and like maybe you'll find a 22 year old saying, "I want to do my own startup," and you know, I can actually believe him because I'm still living, right? Right. And you're not dead I yet. Think, I think it's the other around too. Like it's the point is to find some somebody that's similar to how you want to live. So, who I respect uh, today is. Taizo San, he mm-hmm. started Yahoo Japan in his 20 whatevers, and he's, he's still never worked in a company probably. Um, and I also like Sanada San from K Lab. Right. He, he started his company, he made his, he had his company go public twice, right? And that he's also never worked in a company. He's been a CEO his whole life. So that's who I respect. Um, if I see on any 20-year-old somebody, I would believe this guy would never work in a company and still be successful. But usually if you meet the wrong person, they'll be like, oh, you should work for three years, understand how you feel being hired, you know, understand bad management, <laughs> and then you can hire somebody. No. That's usually I the advice I give, yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, that sounds exactly what, what Hiro was recommending earlier about seeking out people who are similar to you, and that'll make your life a whole lot easier. Uh, Hiro, what are, your, what are your thoughts on it? So I actually have a theory that I haven't validated yet, um, but I'd like to share. Uh, so I think a lot of the internet or the entrepreneurship, yeah, the internet entrepreneurship ecosystem, Silicon Valley, was driven by scientists, right? And so, you know, you know, some scientists found the internet, you know, they thought it would be interesting to, you know, have TCP IP be connected everywhere else and, co- and communicate with each other. And then, you know, there's a company like Silicon Graphics, and then the guys from Silicon Graphics built Netscape, and then the guys from Netscape, you know, built PayPal, and those kind of things, right? So it was very driven by, by, by kind of scientists, right? And scientists kind of have this, uh, so I was, I'm, I was a computer scientist when I was uh, in college, and we have a very collaborative kind of DNA, right? And so we, we're all about collaborating for the greater good so that, you know, things get better, so that, you know, uh, and you know, like open source came from like you know a lot of the, the, from the scientists, right? And so um, we're very collaborative, and they like to pay it forward a lot, right? And so, and my theory is that the Japanese internet ecosystem or the Japanese internet entrepreneurship is actually driven by businessmen, right? So some some guy found out there's this thing called the internet in Silicon Valley, and they decided, oh, this could be you know something good to distribute as or something, and so let's build a website. And so that kind of driven that, uh, the, the internet entrepreneurship ecosystem in Japan, and so it's very business-ish, or whatever the, right, the, right. the, the, the stance is. So it's very secretive, non-collaborative. It's all about like having arbit- arbitrary knowledge and those kind of things. Um, and, 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 and so um, in order to kind of have not similar, but like a more uh, a stronger ecosystem in Japan, I think everyone just has to pay it forward a little, right? And so... Uh, or be more collaborative. So I think anyone who has some good knowledge to share should spend some time to pay it forward. And what I do, actually, I have these open office hours that anyone can apply on on my, on my blog. Um, and I spend two, about two and a half hours per week with just like nobody, like, you know, who's just getting started. And, okay. But unfortunately, I can only accept like 20% of the applicants, right? So, and, and I usually pick the ones that I feel like I can help most, right? And so, right. And so if everyone does that, like gives out like 2.5 hours of their time to help someone else, then I feel like, you know, it's going to become all in all a better ecosystem. So I think people should just pay it forward. All right. It's fantastic. Um, Well, listen, I've got just a couple more questions here. But one, uh, I want to ask each of you, what is the, the best or the most important advice you could give someone who is just starting a company right now here in Tokyo, what would you give them? Uh, Hiroshi, why don't you start this off? Okay. Uh, it's, it's about not quitting. Um, you never lose until you stop or quit. So 
if you believe in something, just keep on doing it, and people, you know, if you're honest enough, people will like you, and you'll be happy. But what if you run out of money? <laughs> we'll work at a convenience. Whatever. All right. <laughs> if, you, if you want to do something, working at a convenience is nothing. Like, if you want to be a good, like, famous band, you know, those guys actually work at a convenience, right? Yeah, they probably so most of them do. It's, yeah, like, somebody said, like, a startup is like a rock band, right? Like, you know, everybody knows the famous rock bands, but there are, like, a million other rock bands that's never famous. But they, like, invest everything. You know, like, so, but you need to believe that you could be that famous rock band, right? Yeah, that's or fantastic. Or else it will advice. never happen. So, awesome. don't quit. Excellent. Yeah, I'm still not successful. Like, I think you're like, doing pretty like, good. This guy's famous. This guy's famous. You're so doing like, pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to like join this group someday. Be equal. Oh, so he, he was obviously one of the two that was too humble to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so d don't quit. That's 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 my that's my advice. I should say. Uh, Matt. Um, so. There's, let's see, there's the cliche, uh, you know, doing a startup is kind of a marathon um, and acknowledging that. And uh, if you're, I'm not massively athletic, but, you know, if you're familiar with, with running and, and interval training, you know that uh, if you want to extend the, the distance that you can run, you, you do uh, interval training where you, you run very quickly for short bursts and sort of push your, push your limit. So thinking of a, of a startup that way, recognizing that you're going to have um, cycles and 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 uh, good days and bad days and and um, it's gonna that's why it's also called a roller coaster uh, um, and just acknowledging that and and you know tomorrow's just gonna be uh, another day to to fight strong and so uh, to make it through um, but the other one that that I think is is pretty key that maybe I don't hear as much is uh, finding a cheerleader uh, finding someone who right. is you know not working with you on like uh, like a co-founder on a daily basis but finding someone who um, can be more of a mentor uh, and uh, just be a sanity check because uh, there's going to be some tough times. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Hero? So it, it's very similar to, to the two uh, advice, but uh, keep your burn rate low, <laughs> right? Um, your personal burn rate low. And, 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 and it's, it's actually quite liberating when you, when you find out that you don't need that much money to live. Right, yeah. it's it's very liberating, right? And 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 so you don't need that apartment in Nishi Azabu, right? You yeah. just you know just like live in like I don't know somewhere like Gotanda or something, um, <laughs> not to diss Gotanda, but like they have really nice, really nice cheap apartments in that area. Um, so you're you're still single? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So <laughs> no, but like, hey, but but I mean you can keep burn rates low even if you're married, right? It's just a little bit higher burn rate, but you can still keep it your burn rates low. Right, and you just gotta convince your wife, you know, not to spend too much money. Um, oh, oh. I'm not happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I made some. That was mad. that was someone who was clearly married. <laughs> uh, I think that was from my future wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's very liberating, right? And, and 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 so if once you find out that you have very low personal burn rate and that you won't die, and you and then it's quite you can you can do anything. Right. And the great thing about Japan is you can get really good food really cheaply, right? And like, <laughs> that is true. Like you know, and it's healthy too, you know. And, and like, if you go to like Singapore or even U.S., like everything's like greased up and everything. So like, um, uh, so yeah, you stay healthy on a budget. Yeah, stay healthy on a budget. You know, keep your personal brain rate ro low so that you can do the marathon and not give up on your dreams. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there you go. Well, listen. I've got one last question before we open it up for uh, Q and A. Um, there's a mic stand over there, so anyone that wants to ask a question can queue up. But I'm going to ask you guys to kind of uh, polish off your, your polish up your crystal balls here, and tell us what you think Japan and particularly the Japanese startup ecosystem is going to look like five to ten years from now. Um, Matt, why don't you take a stab at it? Uh, well, I, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I, I know what uh, I kind of hope for. Uh, it ties in a little bit with uh, what Hiro was saying earlier about uh, paying it forward. Um, I, I do hope that uh, the successes, uh, as they come out amongst you guys as well, over the next five to ten years, um, 
start to feed back, feed the capital back in uh, and support, continue to support the ecosystem. Um, and I think that's one of the big drivers uh, in the Bay Area that uh, we kind of miss right now. Uh, a lot of the, um, it's more ag anecdotal, but I think there have been a couple of very successful uh, exits uh, in Japan uh, and the individuals end up move into the Bay Area because they want to, to challenge themselves over there as opposed to giving back to, to Japan. Mm. So. Okay. Uh, Hiroshi? I feel like all three of us are going to say, say like the same thing. So that's, I was trying to say something different, but I couldn't come up with one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so 10 years, I wish to be an angel investor. All right. Uh, meaning I'm still doing my own business, and then I'm, and I'm still an investor. I don't want to be an investor-only thing in yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, which means you know, to support the community, to understand, or to... Be, to be the person to understand the new guy who wants to be like us, like not. Like so, do you think that later. that um, so a lot of us here on stage and in the audience are deeply involved in the startup community already, but it isn't mainstream right now. Do you see it becoming more mainstream, where where parents would not completely freak out if their their new grad child says, "I want to start a company." Well, so if when we become parents, <laughs> at least I can understand if I have a kid, right? So, I I think things will change. People will be understand more technology, right? We okay. know that babies can play with the iPad, right? Yeah, like three year olds can like launch and like play a game and do everything by themselves. Okay. Like, excellent. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Okay. Hero, what do you what do you think it's going to look like? What is it going to look like? <laughs> We're going to have more competition for deal flow here. <laughs> so I mean, no, it's good, it's going to grow. It's definitely going to grow. Um, but like I said, you know, competition is the driver for more growth, right? And so I think it's going to be a quite modest growth for the next five, ten years, to be very honest. Um, and so. It, we, I think we would be, it would be almost a miracle if we were able to 3x our venture capital spending in five years. Okay. Okay, if we can. Um, and, and so, but I hope that happens, right? And, 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 but I think it will grow. It will grow modestly, right? It will grow modestly. Well, 3x yeah. in five years is pretty, pretty quick growth by normal standards. By normal standards, yeah. So that's why it's called a miracle, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think, and, and, but uh, I think the, uh, what's happening, what's going to happen is there's going to be more and more of these kind of people like Matt, you know, people like Hiroshi, has, ha who has this exposure to many, many different cultures, kind of like, Transferring their 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 like perspectives to other entrepreneurs, which would I think would create this like chain reaction of people who kind of who wants to pay it forward, people who understand what's going on, you know, and and so I think as a whole we'll become a little bit more advanced, or you know, the bottom up will go go much higher, uh, in, you know, a decade down the road, yeah. So it sounds like you're seeing a lot of the the current trends continuing in a very uh, steady and orderly manner. A yeah. very Japanese approach to startup growth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very Excellent. Japanese. Well, listen. Uh, I want to let let's give our, our three panelists a huge hand because I think you guys are great. And I'd like to open it up to to questions for anyone who has anything at all to ask to to any of us. Can you uh, actually just hand him a mic if you? All right. You spoke about how scientists drove um, innovation in the Bay Area. I haven't validated that idea, though. You haven't validated <laughs> it, but I think there's, oh, there's some realism to that statement. And um, Japanese research is a very well-known and strong industry driven by great schools. Um, but most often, we see small companies that get started out of the best research labs in Japan get swallowed up by the Mitsubishis and Zaibatsu of yep. this yep. country. So yep. how can we encourage great companies in the robotics industry, in the um, genetics industry, to arise from those schools and become the next big company of Japan? So. I'm not the probably right person to answer this question. Like, I, I think a lot of it has to do with 
with how IP is 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 protected with whatever is developed into research institutions. So like I think there the, a lot of the ownership goes to the universities, which is very hard, which gets locked up in, in, in institutions like that or whoever sponsors the research. Um, and so uh, I think in order to break out, have these ideas break out of these labs, is to figure out the how the IP transfer works or make it more liberal or you know like how Stanford did it with Google, right? And so they just took some equity from the company and. That equity is worth like billions of dollars, yeah. you know. But I don't know where what what. So that was the status like a couple years ago when I heard back. I don't know what their status is right now. I know there's some initiatives that are trying to change that, uh, and so I'm hoping that it has evolved. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw a comment on top of that. I, I agree that that sorting out the IP licensing that the universities do is a, a huge priority. But another thing that's going to really help is that a lot of Japanese companies now are looking to global markets. Um, where it's not just shopping an idea to three potential buyers, all of who have no incentive to jump on an idea quickly. Um, if you go to the global market, it puts pressure on these domestic companies to act faster and to take risks on new technology as well. Uh, any other questions? Yeah. Hello? Okay. Uh, thank you so much. It was a very interesting speech. I, I know that you know progress is slow and you have to take time and it evolves and it's like a whole about creating ecosystem and everything. But if you had to do something right now to really spike the startup ecosystem, what would be that one thing that you would do? Okay, I'll take a stab at it. Um, so if I had the magic wand and couldn't do anything I wanted, I can do. I want to do. Well, not magic wand. Like no magic wand. Like if this was like your goal, <laughs> like you have six months from now to really spike up the startup oh. ecosystem, what can you do? Other than bribing politicians. Yes. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> so I think what what needs to really happen is 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 some initiatives that would attract more and more talent and more and more money into this country, right? And so, um, I mean, if I can't bribe a politician, I don't, I don't know what I could do. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, like I think Singapore is, is a very wonderful uh, kind of case, right? Because they had all these like tax incentives. They, they attracted a lot of uh, talent and a lot of uh, basically PE funds and hedge funds to basically set, set up base in Singapore. Um, they also even subsidize a lot of the, 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 you know, whenever you hire someone locally, right? And those kind of things. So. They, they made it extremely attractive for, for a lot of foreign companies to come into Singapore and set up shop there. And I think Japan should do the same. Um, well, I, but do you th not think that there's enough capital already in there, Japan? There's enough capital, but there's not enough capital that's unlocked, right? There's a lot of capital that's sitting in, 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 yeah, in, yeah. in, in, in these large corporations, right? And uh, we're sitting on like trillions of dollars, right? And, and so, uh, and it, it's just, it's hard. It's, there's a lot of factors why this is happening. It's just because it just, that, that's how larger corporations kind of function right now. They just basically try to generate a lot of profit and just sit on it. Um, and so uh, rather than just reinvesting into the ecosystem or they rather put it into, R, or they should put it into R&D or something. Um, so th those things should happen, but those things, I, I don't know, it's, almost, it's pretty hard to do in six months to a year, but yeah. Well, I'll give something for the grassroots. I think one of the most important things that you can do to support the startup ecosystem is to have startups work with each other. Um, this is something that's starting to change, um, but the more startups try to work with other startups rather than with large corporations as vendors, the more people will get used to this fast-paced, dynamic. Um, startups give much better feedback than large corporations. So I'd say probably the best thing that could be done quickly is to encourage startups to work with each other as much as possible. Um, I mean, I think there's the, if you can influence policy pretty quickly, then that's probably one of the fastest ways. Um, and one, one might be to yeah, incentivize corporations. Um, I, there's probably also just a... Uh, a hesitant uh, risk-averse workforce aspect where if there's a way to um, create a sense of, of, ironically, to create a sense of, of uh, safety uh, amongst a, a young, um, you know, creative uh, workforce that it's okay for like a year to just go do whatever you want and, and, and you know, at least look for an idea that, that you want to sort of build upon um, and have a safety net, uh, then I think that that might actually inspire a lot more um, you know, ideas to, to fruit. I would make a fund that invests ten thousand dollars 
$10,000 to every startup that's made by a high school student. Huh. Like, I'll invest in all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that could probably change something in six months. We, we would get some interesting startups out of that. Yeah. <laughs> At least there'll be like five cool ones that's actually better than any 30-year-old startups. That's true. <laughs> so that's Excellent. what I would do. Good, thanks, guys. Uh, next question. Here we go. Hi there. I'm, I'm Volker Heisterman, Eastern Ventures. I'm from San Francisco in Taiwan. And uh, I think this is a fantastic event. Good energy, great panelists. Thanks for um, coming out and joining us. Yeah, so I travel a lot through different ecosystems. Actually, right now, about 90% of my time. And I, I keep hearing the question of, like, how can we copy Silicon Valley? And I think it's great that you guys on the panel mentioned you don't want to copy Silicon Valley. So my question is, like in Taiwan, we you know, did a little soul searching a few years ago and said, well, it's a hardware country, right? So let's just do more in hardware. So what is Japan's soul, soul searching? And where are some of these, you mentioned it, you alluded to it, uh, there's a lot of research, a lot of IP. Uh, where does that sit? Where, where are the startups outside from O2O, from apps, and you know, all the general stuff, the copy stuff? Um, wh where's the real like, nitty gritty, um, hardcore, research startup, biotech, nanotech, where, where yeah. are they? And is that a chance for Japan? That's a deep question. I can, I can do jump on that with fine. Do you want All right. Um, I, I think that part of it is you can find little niches around, but quite honestly, um, I, I think in Japan, I mean, if you look at, and I know we say don't copy Silicon Valley, but in this case, we were talking about the pay it forward um, mindset. And Silicon Valley has seen maybe seven, eight generations of successful entrepreneurs funding and mentoring the next generation and iterating on that. Japan right now is really only in its first iteration. Right now we're really seeing the first time where a lot of successful entrepreneurs are investing and mentoring new startups. On the software side, we're really on the first iteration. If you look at what's happening on some of the Internet of Things type companies, um, there's interesting stuff that there's like the seeds of something very interesting happening there because you've got a lot of people who have worked for 30 years uh, in Sharp or Sony or Panasonic with real world uh, production sourcing QA experience that are leaving to join startups. And so I'm thinking we might see some really interesting stuff coming out of there. But, man, it's too early to tell. Okay. Step by step. Do <laughs> you guys want to put something, layer something when, on top of that? When I think of uh, Japanese ingenuity, I love uh, washlets. <laughs> I think. All right, yeah. So that's, uh, that's a space that I'm very excited in. <laughs> I believe in, uh, what do you call it? The powered suit, the robot thing? Oh, the Cyberdyne? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like Japan will be really strong in the next 30 years using that because everybody else is going to be old around the world. <laughs> All right. Actually, you just so solve the problem in front of you, right? <laughs> I think one area I'm actually quite excited about is, is virtual reality, right? And, and, and the, reas mm. the reason why is because, is, is because we're so, Japanese culture, I don't want to generalize, but like we're so into being kind of, in a different fantasy world, like, you know, that's why we have all these manga and, like, all these hentais going on, right? Yeah. And, so, and so, like, I think once, if, if Oculus Rift or whatever virtual reality platform becomes, uh, uh, you know, quite dominant, you know, with, like, 30,000 units or something distributed or something like that, you know, like, I think there's gonna, it's going to unload a bunch of, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I, I think <laughs> not a bunch of hentai. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that too. I think uh, <laughs> no, it's gonna un unload a bunch of you know creativity, right? And so I think we're actually, and then there, and you know, there'll be a lot of interesting, interesting stars. That's why you know we have a, a various powerful gaming companies because I don't know what it is. We just like want to kind of be in a different world or something. Um, Do you so, remember I was doing Second yeah. Life? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You did it at the wrong time, so I did it in two thousand six. <laughs> yeah, so that was the wrong time. Yes, yeah. but <laughs> now I see this world about this Oculus Rift mm -hmm. and Second Life being together. Mm -hmm. Second Life is now like PlayStation Two level. Mm -hmm. People can make it anytime. That's that's like the next internet, and I mm -hmm. still believe it. Mm -hmm. It's been going like it's been ten years, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I, th I think there is this thing. I mean, we all and okay, me more than most perhaps have a, a habit of kind of poking fun at the the anime and the manga and some of the, the stuff that's, let's call it the further out there 
type of projects. But the fact is that even if you know 99% of them don't go anywhere, there's going to be 1% that is truly groundbreaking and interesting and innovative. And that makes the rest of it worth it, right? Thanks Excellent. so much. OK, I think we got time for uh, maybe two more. Hey, guys. Um, thank you very much for tonight. Uh, I'll try to keep my question very simple. My name is Lauren Fikes, and I run a startup called Gucci. Um, the elephant in the room, which is language. You know, I met a lot of Japanese startups that um, the founders don't speak a lick of English. And then their websites and services go up, and they're all in Japanese. And there's a lot of talk about Japanese startups going global and being uh, you know, international companies. But then at the same time, there's not anything in English on their websites. And vice versa, when it comes to investment from VCs, like, you know, when it comes to, like, these international teams, you said anti-diversity. So, you know, a guy who's American or Canadian who comes to Japan and wants to change the ecosystem, make it more global and national, comes here and finds a Japanese dude that has the same vision as he has, and then it's going to get ignored or looked over by most of the VCs here because there's no way a Japanese VC guy is going to give a non-Japanese guy any money. <laughs> so my question to you is that those two factors in play, how does Japan's ecosystem change, given that a majority of the founders here are not really acting very global, and then the VCs here aren't really investing in any international people who come here? Hiro, I know you're, you're dying to dive on this one. It's, 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 it's tough, right? To, to be very, very honest, it's, 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 it's really tough, because as a startup, you're, 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 uh, you don't have much resources to work with, right? And so... Uh, you want to do everything you can to sp speed things up. That's why you know diversity is not good. Uh, but same thing as when you address markets, right? So when you're as a startup, do you want to address a market that's like you're not you're not even close proximity with, you know? And so like you probably wa don't want to do that. You probably want to address the market that you understand most, where you can speak the language, understand the language, and those kind of things. So strategically, it makes sense for a lot of the Japanese or domestic startups to first start up, start with Japan. And it, their lack of speaking English is definitely a huge friction of going global, and I think it's going to be tough. Like uh, we well, need who more. Are some maps, success you know, cases yeah. that that started yeah. out in Japanese and went global. Rakuten. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it, it depends on how you define global, but well, yeah. <laughs> well, they're definitely outside of Japan. I mean, is, okay, we're is, not we're not going to beat up on Rakuten today. Is, is Dentsu global? Is that? Is Dentsu global? Uh, I wouldn't say they were a startup. Even from their inception, but the same the same goes to VCs, right? So as 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 funders, you know, like okay, some guy from Canada comes here and tries to do something in in oh, how much Japanese do you understand, or how much of the culture do you understand? Will you be able to un understand the nuances, or what's kawaii, or what's not, and those kind of things, right? And that's those, especially for consumer technology, those are very important. Um, even in business development, uh, you're at a disadvantage, right? And so as a VC, like you know, we have the fiduciary responsibilities of of basically maximizing returns, and so if you think of it that way, then we would try. We would place a bet. We rather place a bet on the guy who understands the market most than the guy who's just coming in. Uh, to be honest, it's tough. And and uh, and, and I think the driver of the change. So the drivers is going to be always the exception, right? And so when we find that one company, there's going to be a few exceptional companies that's going to be able to you know, as a Japanese, be a successful entrepreneur in the U.S. I mean, we're seeing that already, right? Or as a U.S. Uh, or as a foreigner being successful in Japan, and we're seeing that in China already, right? And so, like, uh, there's always going to be exceptions, and those exceptions are going to be the drivers, I believe, right? And so I think all we have to do is just keep funding, keep funding whatever we think are good entrepreneurs or are good, good, and hopefully one of, one of those become exceptions that would drive these changes, basically. Yeah. And, and I will say that one, one thing, I, I, I question one of your assumptions in that uh, when I, my first company here in Japan, uh, Vanguard, back in 1998, uh, I spoke pretty horrible Japanese at the time. Um, I had a mixed team of foreigner and, and Japanese, and I raised funds, I made sales. Um, so believe me, it, it can be done, people do it. Japanese VCs are quite willing to fund foreigners here in Japan if they're convinced they can execute. There's that, and then if they're convinced that, the, that they're committed. Uh, and I think there's an element of, of transience that, that uh, foreigners just sort of you know have being in Japan I mean by you know they're how committed are they to really uh, slogging it through and getting to the difficult times in Japan and there's a, there's a concern I, I can imagine that there's a concern by investors where okay when it when the when it gets really tough how do I know that you're not just gonna you know pack up and go 
Uh, and mm. they're pretty sure that the Japanese probably won't, because where are they going to go? <laughs> uh, right? They're already here in their home country. Uh, but uh, if it's a you know, if a foreigner tries to raise money um, and execute in Japan, and if it gets really tough, so so there's ways you have to think about how you're going to express and convince. Uh, the the investor that you really are committed you know is are you are you studying japanese you know are you are you going out and selling to japanese customers even if your japanese isn't that great um it, so there's different ways you can express that and then once you convince them then i think it gets a bit easier okay so we got a uh, one last question and we're going to wrap it up for uh drinks and networking yeah thank you um i'm gerald from silent capital and uh, outstanding panel and questions and so thank you very much thank you um, i also spent time between silicon valley and, and tokyo i had one comment on the difference between silicon valley and, and tokyo and i think is the fact that the business cases i think in silicon valley are much simpler they are able to articulate the gap in the market much quicker and without a lot of you know powerpoint slides following that and that leads also to an ability to pivot to new markets when the first idea did not work out. And I think that's, uh, that's something we could take as best practice here uh, to be um, faster. Why do you think that is? Is it strictly a matter of education? Why do you think it is? I think it's, it's detrimental to be as thorough as Japanese are. As thorough? Yeah. Ah. Japanese really love thoroughness and, and completing things and, and explaining it in great detail. I think that's true. I'm seeing a lot of nodding from the panel here. <laughs> I, I think that's that's dead on. Do you guys have anything to add? I don't get what the question is, though. Sorry. <laughs> it was more of a statement. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I have a question, but uh, you know, I haven't gotten to my. Question. Oh, okay, you're getting to the question. All right, let's get to the yeah. question my so question we can get was, to the drinks. Uh, what do you think about women entrepreneurship in Japan, and what can we do to encourage that? Ah. <laughs> I great question. Strange segue. Um, <laughs> Matt, you got a thoughts? Who wants to jump on this one? Like, just do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I don't even. Want, I mean, I, I don't even know what's wrong about. Maybe it maybe it helps as as a as a Westerner in Japan. It's easier to see, but I I do think that entrepreneurship opens up a uh, channel and an opportunity for a lot of women who can bypass a lot of the corporate hierarchies that have been in place. The, the women that have been on the show have uh, been every bit as, as tough as their uh, male counterparts. So I, I think that women are going to be perhaps even overrepresented in Japanese startup founders. Guys, you, what do you think? I mean, it, um, it reminds me of, I believe there is even an incubator, uh, or at least a workspace uh, that, that has a, a playroom for, for kids and toddlers uh, to help encourage, That's I forget right. what it's called, but it's oh. over in... Akasaka Hub? Hub? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, useless place. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so it, there is an awareness that there's this need and, and there's there's growing facility for it. So, So I think part of being an entrepreneur, it requires some stupidness, right? And, oh, like. So where are you going with this? Because, <laughs> like, it's kind of stupid to, like, try to build a rocket, right? Or to send it to Mars. Or it's kind of stupid to be, like, you know, let's figure out a way how to remit money through this PDA thing. Or, like, it's, it's, it's almost like it requires a little dumbness but curiosity, right? I think women in general, like, it's, it's very, it, this is, okay, this is a very wrong way to start. But, like. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone's giving me like, no, don't go there. <laughs> no, but women in general are much smarter than men, to be honest. Are much smarter than men. Like, I mean, nice like, recovery. No, 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 right? No, no, no. Like, I, I think, I think there's some like study, right? Like, some some women on on average have like 20% higher IQ than men, right? And then, and, and it's it's true. And like, because you need some stupidity in order to become an entrepreneur. And and there are a lot of great CEOs for women. Sheryl Sandberg, yeah. you know, Marissa Mayer. They're very great at, as operators, right? That's why like, I feel like women as CEOs do much better than uh, COOs do much better as men as CEOs. So huh. I feel like that might be the, the, the best way to, to get them involved into this, this entrepreneurship movement is to get them as CEOs, actually. Yeah, I don't know where I was going, but like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, do, we, do, I think um, do you think we're all going to see more women in entrepreneurship, more women starting companies here in Japan in the years to come? 
I think in general, yes, because yeah, because. So. Well, listen, guys. Um, let, let's give our panel a huge hand. Man, thanks for coming out. And um, I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, it's a joy to have you here. I'm looking forward to talking with you all over drinks. Thank you so much.